The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Tuesday and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk radio of for and by you the people. We welcome back President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, Scott and Paul. The AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for years, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters. And as you can see, manufacturing is not only a top-of-mind issue for voters, but some say it is what swayed some blue states to go red and for Donald Trump in this last election year. And they do this, by the way, of not only making top-of-mind, you know, manufacturing top-of-mind for voters, but also for our national leaders. And they have done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back Scott and Paul. Hey, Scott, happy Tuesday. Leslie, happy Tuesday to you. Thank you uh, for joining us once again. Good uh, to talk to you. You know, the president likes to take credit. I mean, you know, we had, uh, you know, not uh, so hot first uh, jobs report. Then another one came out that was even better. Manufacturing is not doing as well as you would like. And one of the things that people voted and elected the president, Donald Trump, to do was to bring jobs back to America and create jobs in America, there are different companies saying, hey, they're going to open up plants or, you know, companies that maybe had plans already uh, in uh, the works. Um, some say that the Trump administration is pressuring organizations. The latest, we could say, was Apple. Apple announced a $1 billion investment into advanced manufacturing. First of all, can the assumption that the Trump administration has pressured Apple and some other uh, companies Uh, to invest in specifically manufacturing and specifically manufacturing jobs here in America? That's a good question. I think so far it's kind of uh, unanswered. I mean, you know, some of the corporate announcements to create jobs in the United States were actually things that have been underway since the Obama administration. Um, in In other cases, like the carrier in Indianapolis where, he saved some of the jobs uh, with an economic development package. Others are still going to Mexico. I mean, that was clearly the administration that intervened there. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that uh, Tim Cook was thinking primarily of Donald Trump when Apple did this. But at the same time, I, I think that you know Apple has a has a challenge uh, as a brand. Uh, based on not on its products, which are very good, I, I use them, but uh, sort of based on its its financial position, where it has you know a, a, a stock price that keeps going up, uh, it's sitting on somewhere depending on the market capitalization six and eight hundred billion dollars worth of cash uh, 
that, that's out there, uh, and it it has no virtually no manufacturing footprint of its own uh, in the United States, and uh, it's it's come under considerable criticism, you know, including from the president, but for a long time before that, from from me and from other folks uh, as well, and so. Uh, so rhetorically, it seems like corporations may be more attuned to try to make announcements like this. Um, but from a substantive perspective, you, I think every company still looks at the bottom line and sees sees what makes sense for them. Uh, no question uh, about it. Um, are the companies in your experience since Donald Trump's been elected that plan on either bringing jobs back or creating jobs here, are many of those plans or blueprints, ideas that have kind of been in the works? Uh, yeah, I, th I think in many cases they have been. I mean, there's a, you know, Intel, uh, which makes semiconductor uh, and microprocessing chips, uh, announced uh, that it would be investing in a facility in the southwest United States, but it was it's something that had been in the works since uh, 2015. Some of the car company announcements were uh, – uh, were, were, were things that that had been on the books for uh, a long time. Uh, Leslie, some of these, it's worth pointing out, are promised investments too. And so uh, sometimes what happens after these promises uh, is, and the headlines go away, uh, is that um, you know they they scale these back and 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 something uh, of, of less scale happens. And so there's a lot of accountability. Uh, that needs to be done as we work through um, as we work through these issues, and so we're we're certainly keeping an eye on things, um, and and this accumulation of kind of corporate promises, uh, as well as some of the policy promises that that the president has made, uh, as well as some of the things that haven't changed. And I mean, I, I don't know if if you recall. Uh, this company, Rexnord, uh, yep. and it's recently been in the news again because there was a, a good story on NBC Nightly News, and, and Trump tweeted about it again. But you know, after the carrier uh, uh, action in November, Trump tweeted about Rexnord, which is a ball-bearing maker, literally down the street from Carrier in Indianapolis, still planned to move more than 300 jobs to Mexico. I had a chance to meet with many of these workers Early in the year, and they said, despite Trump's tweet, they hadn't heard anything. I mean, I mean, th there had been literally no intervention from the administration to try to be helpful in some way. And so it's in the news again, and Trump responds yet again with a tweet, uh, but with no kind of practical or concrete action uh, that, that's going to help any of these workers, many of whom are in their 40s or 50s, and, and what we know, unfortunately, from all the data and all the experience uh, is that they're, the, the, particularly those older workers, are unlikely to get a job that's going to be nearly as well compensating, have the same kind of benefits. Uh, in fact, some of them will be, uh, unfortunately, lucky to get a job uh, at all uh, again, and it is, this is happening, uh, and it's going to take more than a tweet to, to change that equation. But, but speaking of, when we look at companies like Carrier, right? You and I have talked about it. You talked about Rexnerd. Um, Carrier, uh, an air conditioning manufacturer, they scrapped plans to move its factory to Mexico. But when you counted how many jobs they were getting rid of, 
um, you know, uh, and, and keeping here, you know, versus uh, moving, it was a deficit for the American worker numbers-wise, at least from what I say. Apple's response to the agenda of this president and this presidency, um, it could actually help create the kind of jobs that are growing, not disappearing, right? Or is it even fair to compare because carrier jobs, very different than Apple's jobs. They are very different, and I don't necessarily think it's an either-or, Leslie. I think that there's certainly room for both. Um, I see uh, both manufacturing in the, in the technology space. I see manufacturing in the steel space. Uh, and I think that both are really critical to the future of our country. Now, a steel mill isn't going to look like it did in the 1950s. We don't want it to. It's, it's going to look like a modern steel mill. It will have less people in it uh, than it did 20, 30 years ago, uh, but it, it's good to have our steel made here. There's less of a carbon footprint. It's more environmentally responsible. Uh, we make sure that in the event that we ever need it for a national emergency uh, or, or for our national defense that we can rely on it here at home. Uh, if we're going to be rebuilding our infrastructure, which I think that we should, uh, we're, we're still going to need steel in it. It's, it's uh in the physical infrastructure, uh, in the bridges, the roads, the transit systems. And we, we also need to be winning in high technology. I mean, a lot of people probably would be stunned to learn that our largest trade deficit with China is not in steel or, or automobiles or anything like that. It's in high technology products. What? Over, over $120 billion a year. And this is supposed to be our future. Uh, but a lot of these companies like Apple have have simply moved virtually all of their production offshore. Apple's not really a manufacturer. It's a designer. It's a retailer. Uh, but it contracts out virtually all of its manufacturing uh, to, 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 to entities like Foxconn. Uh, and subcontractors, uh, and so we, you know, if we want to be also, you know, holding on to what we have that's very important to this country, like steel, and also winning some of these, some some of these newish industries uh, and the ones that are yet to come, like uh, autonomous vehicles and drone production. Uh, and and all, all of these types of things, we need to have good policy. We need to have good leadership. And uh, I I don't know that the facts have fundamentally changed yet that are gonna they're gonna make the equation any any more favorable for American workers uh, for American manufacturers. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, more talk with Scott. Not only about Apple, but uh, about a report uh, by MIT. And a lot of people were upset about the iPhone, right? You know, where is your product made? Uh, we have a choice as to what we buy. We want things made in America. We want more options of things made in America. To your point, Scott, we also want to know what's in the steel, especially if we're using it here in the United States for bridges that we drive over and for other items like skyscrapers and things we don't want to fall apart, like Chinese T-shirts free for 5 or 10 bucks that fall apart after one wash. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with Scott Paul from the AAM and you here on the only True Democracy and Talk Radio. You have questions, you have comments, pick up the phone and join us. Um, what do you think about Apple? Is uh, Trump and his administration pressuring companies like Apple, who normally fight Washington, to bring jobs back to America or create jobs here in America? Or is he just taking credit for something that was already in the works? Love to hear your take on it. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Pick up the phone and join us. More after this.
We're back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and we are talking about Apple's billion-dollar investment. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. It does this investment by Apple provide a blueprint for U.S. manufacturing, something other companies can look uh, to doing uh, in, in the future? Well, uh, I'll say a couple of things about it. I'm happy that Apple is is investing a billion dollars in advanced manufacturing in the United States. So let's be clear about what this is. They're going to be investing in manufacturing startups, in uh, other kinds of companies that they want to scale, certainly companies that can be part of their supply chain or potentially that they could acquire, and they're going to be looking for a return on, on that investment. So all of that in itself is a good thing. The, the reason why I kind of called Apple out on this is that you know a billion dollars is, is is a lot of money to you and me and and to nearly everybody else in America. You know, a, a billion dollars represents um, you know less than less than one percent of Apple's uh, cash, and it you know its production model, its sourcing model, is one of the problems we have in this country with manufacturing where we're designing things here and we're making them under terrible conditions in other countries. And, and, and this is the thing. Apple has this image as being, you know, pioneers, as being revolutionary. And the way in which it produces its iPhones in particular is, you know, is, is like the way that garments were made 100 years ago. It's through the sweat and toil of tens or perhaps even hundreds of thousands of really underpaid workers in China. And it's not a high-tech system at all. I mean, what, what comes out at the end of it, what, what I hold in my hand or what you hold in yours, is incredibly high-tech. But the process is, is surprisingly unimaginative and ugly. And for Apple, that just doesn't seem right. To me, and I think that if if Apple, if Tim Cook would have said, "I'm going to build a factory in the United States to make iPhones here, and we're going to revolution revolutionize the way that tech is produced around the world, and we're going to make it in local markets for local markets," now that would have sent signals uh, that would be tremendous, and that would have a much more profound impact on. Uh, manufacturing and high-tech manufacturing uh, in the United States, and I think that it would start a wave of kind of reshoring some of this work back. And we know know from various folks who have looked at whether it's even possible for Apple to make an iPhone in the United States that engineers conclude that it's possible. Some scientists at MIT thinks it's possible. Um, You know, Apple's the only one who thinks that it can't be done. And it's because it, it depends on this, you know, this model uh, from a hundred years ago. Uh, you know, it, that, that's about the sweat and toil of workers, and they've got to they've got to break these chains uh, and get out of this. And that would get me excited, Leslie. You know what? Apple CEO Tim Cook, you know, who you mentioned earlier this hour, and we've talked about before. He said in an interview with CNBC. By doing that, uh, referring to the investment by Apple, uh, those manufacturing jobs create jobs around them. By doing that, we can be the ripple in the pond. Now, according to the National Association of Manufacturers, for every dollar invested in manufacturing, and you've talked about this before and given other stats, a dollar eighty-one is injected back into the economy. So, 
you know, it, it, is this going to help not only, you know, stimulate the economy? Do you agree with the ripple in the pond that Cook is talking about? Well, again, I do. And I think that it can be valuable. But a, a billion dollars in investing in American manufacturing uh, through kind of startup uh, firms or, uh, or or things that they want to scale will yield some jobs. There is no question about that. And again, my hat tip to Apple for that. Uh, the, and and so, sorry, Scott, yeah. then because manufacturing, in a sense, in this scenario, is more digital, right? You know, very different uh, type of. Uh, I mean, the hitch would be here that uh, these are highly skilled workers in a different way, in a different area of manufacturing, like digital manufacturing. Is that something that Cook and others um, should look into training within our current manufacturing pools of employees? Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, if you build it, they will come. And Tim Cook says, well, there's not enough engineers in the United States. Well, if there was more production in the United States, there would be more engineers. People go where the jobs are. Right. And, and, and labor markets respond that way. And, and what we need is for Apple to pioneer that and to, and, and to build a factory here, in addition to having this fund. Th- that would be awesome. That would be a game changer. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have more to talk about with Scott. But we want to talk with you as well. 8886 Leslie. 888-653-7543 is the number. Tweet me. Follow me at Leslie Marshall. Tweet Scott as well at Scott Paul AAM. Follow him there. And during the break, check out the website at AmericanManufacturing.org. They've got a lot of good stuff where you can buy American stats like we're talking about and the real facts about manufacturing as we know it today in America. Back after this. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. Uh, Scott, before um, I talk to you about the PR campaign and if it's just a, you know, a bit fancy and then uh, get on to some of the executive orders that I know that you and the AAM have been very vocal about. Let's take some calls. The number is 8886 Leslie 8886537543. On line three in Manassas, Virginia is Ishmael. Ishmael, I understand you have a question for Scott. Yes, uh, Leslie, thank you so much for taking my call and greeting to Scott. Uh, first thing, I just want to make a comment that um, this Apple project to bring back job in USA has been working a long, t- long time. The last time when the employee of Foxcom committed suicide by jumping off the uh, apartment that they were in, you know, there was a lot of backlash for Apple. And Apple, one of the commitments was that they will try to kind of move away from that and bring jobs into to the USA. And, and the sad thing is that this buffoon in the White House will try to take credit for it, where he couldn't even close a deal with Kerry. The taxpayers of Indiana have to pay for the whole uh, uh, saving of job. He didn't pay nothing for it, but he just took a credit for it. So my question to you, I mean, you talked about um, um, a technology trade with China, how big it is. Should we be concerned about security uh, as far as uh, uh, Chinese stealing some of the technology and then and using it, you know, because I know one of the things they did is they just started building a new airplane uh, and all that technology because they bought technology from Boeing, and that's how they're able to fix uh, a, a new uh, airplane, like make new airplanes now. So I just want to know if or should we be concerned about that. Oh, okay, good question. Scott? Ishmael makes some great points. Um, there, There is no question that 
uh, China has moved up what you could call the value chain from, you know, making widgets and toys and uh, and garments to to airplanes and satellites and high technology products, uh, in part because you know that was the policy of the Chinese government and. Uh, and there was forced technology transfer, and there's not great protection of intellectual property, and the government controls a, a big chunk of China's economy. And so if you, the, one, of the, one of your points or one of your questions was, does it concern me on a security level? And it, it absolutely does. Um, and I think that if, if we allow a lot of our industrial base to be eroded uh, and then we end up depending on uh, China in particular to uh, provide everything from armor plate to microchips, uh, it's going to put us in a very vulnerable position and limit a lot of the options that we may want to have economically and in foreign policy and with respect to our national defense. Uh, and, and also, to, to your other point on Apple, uh, there's no doubt that whenever Apple either responds to or sees a looming kind of PR crisis that it kind of falls back on we're going to invest in American manufacturing. This is designed in California. It employs a bunch of people. And, look, I, again, I, I, I'm a fan of Apple. I want Apple to succeed. I love Apple products. Uh, I just think that the, the, the company has acquired this image as being revolutionary, uh, game-changing, and its production model is the exact opposite of that. It depends on uh, poorly paid workers, hundreds of thousands of them uh, in China, and it is a backwards production model. It's not a 21st uh, century production model. Uh, and so I will always look for uh, the proof and what comes out of this and how Apple's going to spend this billion dollars. We've seen a lot of other corporations make promises like this and say they're going to invest in American manufacturing. Uh, and in some ways, it turns out to be largely window dressing. Walmart's a good example of that. Walmart pledged to buy $250 billion more of American-made products, and uh, the, which, which is awesome. That sounds great. I love, I love the sound of that. Uh, but the, 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 the truth of it is that most of that's going to be groceries, you know, things that they would be buying from U.S. producers anyway. And, and not a lot of that is going to be replacing imports from China. Uh, and so, you know, Walmart's going to get a lot of publicity for investing in American workers, American manufacturing. I view these as valuable brands, uh, and it's not going to be doing the real hard spade work to get there. And, and I question whether Apple will be as well. Very good question. Uh, just as great, if not better, answer, Scott. Let's go to Reggie on line one in Decatur, Georgia. Uh, Reggie, question or comment? Yeah, I have, a, I have a question for you, both you and your guest, Leslie. Why doesn't Donald Trump uh, invest in, you know, in alternative uh, energy resources, like or such as uh, solar, wind, and possibly electricity? Well, that's Is a question a that goes into environment, but it could create yeah. some manufacturing yeah. jobs. Reggie, thank you for the question. Scott? It sure could. Look, I think one of the real growth opportunities for America is in uh, clean and renewable energy manufacturing, because you think about it. We, we have the resources. I mean, we have 
great regions of the country that have access to a lot of sunshine, which is what you need for solar power. Uh, we have great access to uh, wind generation in large parts of our country. Uh, even things like wave technology or geothermal. I mean, we are, we are lucky and blessed uh, from, a, from both a geophysical and a geographic uh, and a meteorological position to, to have a comparative advantage in this, if you will. What we lack, though, is the policy to get us from point A to point B, both the, the demand side, like you know, requiring utilities to offer a certain percentage of the power from renewable sources, which, which creates a market for it, and, and on the other side of it, the manufacturing policy. So, you know, and so instead we're going to import solar panels from China when we first invented this technology and we should be making in the United States wind turbines. We're great at making complex machines in the United States. A wind turbine is awfully similar to a large jet engine in a lot of ways, uh, and it has tons of steel in it, which is something that we make. Um, and, and you can go on and on in this, uh, and, and, and it's something where I see – the potential for hundreds of thousands of job opportunities if we get if we get this right, and that that extends into uh, elect, uh, electric vehicles as well. And and so I, I think we need the policy to support it and not to drive it overseas. But it, but it's something that we ought to be uh, we ought to be winning at. We ought to be investing it. Uh, it's good for our planet, and I think it can be good for American manufacturing jobs as well. I want to talk about uh, some executive orders. A lot of people focus on anything that's to overturn anything the president prior, Obama, did, uh, certainly travel bans and things like that. Um, but there's an executive order that you guys write about on your site at the Alliance for American Manufacturing website, um, the specifics of some of the executive orders. And, and some of those are very important. Uh, one reassigned Trump's trade advisor, Peter Navarro, from the months-old National Trade Council to an even more new office of trade and manufacturing policy. Scott, talk to us about what this move appears to be. I mean, is it uh, in line with the president's uh, goals uh, to be more hawkish on trade issues? How do you guys at the AAM feel about that? Why is this important, and why don't you think Trump is touting it? Yeah, yeah, well, I, th I think that's a good qu question. There's been, you, believe me, there's been plenty of executive orders. The, the question to me is what comes next, and I, I'm glad that uh, Peter Navarro has finally settled into a role because I, I believe he's an advocate for American manufacturing uh, and for American workers and, and, and wants a better trade policy, and, and we've worked with him uh, in the past, and, and uh, he wrote a book chapter for us uh, eight years ago on – on, on China trade policy, the, and there had been this, this looming conversation about kind of the, the Gary Cohn, uh, Jared Kushner wing versus the Steve Bannon and who, you know, whatever wing, the, the nationalists versus the globalists. And I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Uh, but the, the fact that Navarro is there doing trade policy, uh, to me, gives some hope because this is one of the few opportunities, Leslie, and we've talked about this, where I think that could, there could actually be bipartisan cooperation with some of those industrial state Democrats who care a lot about these issues, like Senator Schumer, of New York, uh, Senator Baldwin of Wisconsin, Senator uh, Brown of, of Ohio, all progressive Democrats who uh, want to change our, our trade policy. And, and so the, the proof is going to be what this office does 
and, and what these executive orders that have been launched look like when they ripen over the summer uh, and into the fall. And if it's just a bunch of reports that are piling up and we haven't changed the policy, then, then it's going to be wasted. But if we're actually going to take some reasonable actions, then I will feel like in a, in a limited way that we've been able to make some progress on this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, one other, even though there were many, um, executive orders. And I also want to talk about some other issues with Scott that you got to stick around for. The president's been president for over 100 days now. But how is he doing on trade? A lot of people, maybe you listening, voted for him with regard to trade because you thought that he was more against bad trade deals than Hillary Clinton was. And also, um, you know, some of the investigations about the import, specifically steel and aluminum, Trump steel and aluminum imports, you know, the AAM is myth-busting. And we're going to bust a myth instead of bust a move right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall, Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Can be followed on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM and the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Don't go away. I was searching for something. Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Before we move on to uh, another issue, there was another ad- executive order. This one directed the Commerce Department, Scott, to prepare a review of existing U.S. free trade agreements in order to determine whether they've delivered the results predicted when they uh, were signed. Even though it's more work, it- it- it's needed, don't you think? I mean, you know, why should we have deals if they're if they're not effective? I think that's right. And for too long, and I know you've heard this too, it's about the philosophy, whether you're a free trader or a fair trader or a protectionist, as some people call it, and less about the results and what it's actually yielding for us. And so I think it's a good thing to examine the impact of trade agreements and the trade deficit on jobs, our overall economy. Uh, and, and make adjustments. And I know this, this will be hard for a lot of people to, to hear, but when, when Trump talks about reciprocity, I, I think that's the right approach and something that we've been missing for a long time. Now, whether or not he delivers that is an entirely different question. Um, and a lot of his own practices, you know, as, as a businessman, raise questions about that. But I think to have this examination of trade policy is step one. Step two is, is what kind of reforms do we need? And will they do more good than harm? And what's going to be the approach on this? And uh, that's, again, as I said, I know earlier in the segment, I think that there are only a couple of issues where Democrats and this administration can probably work together. Infrastructure could be one of those. Uh, trade policy could be another. And, you know, if the White House is willing to stand apart from Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell on trade policy uh, and, and be more like Senator Sherrod Brown, then I'll give them credit for that. I, I don't know that that's where this is headed, but, uh, but, but I, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, we have a question for you on Twitter from SRK who says, Scott, I'm confused. With the U.S. job market hitting saturated employment, for example, not enough employees, how is the U.S. not competitive? Yeah, that's a fair question. And there are there are still a lot of particularly o- older workers who are not part of the labor force right now. Uh, a lot of the types of jobs that we are generating are not what you would call middle-income, middle-skill jobs. 
and there is a lot of work to do, particularly in industries that are good, goods producing, like manufacturing, that are exposed to global competition uh, and have been uh, underperforming in terms of their job creation since the end of the Great Recession. Uh, and part of this is because we have a lousy trade policy. Uh, part of it's because we haven't invested enough to create more demand for manufactured goods in our own economy. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. And, and Leslie, I'm sure you've heard these stories because I have as well about some families that are, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they're, 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 they have, they hold down uh, two or three jobs that are part time. Uh, their benefits aren't all that great, um, and they're they're struggling from paycheck to paycheck. And I th I think that we we still have a lot of progress that we can make uh, to create more opportunities and better opportunities for working Americans in this country. When you talk about trade, you talk about job performance. When President Trump went into office a little more than 100 days ago, he promised specifically to shake things up for America's working class. Even in the inaugural address, he echoed the promises of his campaign. He pledged job creation would be a pillar of the presidency. He wanted and said he would put America first, reshape our trade policy. Uh, he had the Buy American, Hire American pledge, vowed to rebuild our roads, bridges, airports, tunnels, and railways. Lots of talking, lots of tweeting. What has changed in the past hundred days? How has Trump fared, especially with regard to trade and some of these promises he's made? Yeah, well, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what next, what happens in the next hundred, because I think it could be much more consequential. I mean, he withdrew from the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That was the easiest thing to do. It was already dead on arrival. Uh, Hillary Clinton opposed it. Bernie Sanders opposed it. Ted Cruz opposed it. There wasn't any support for it in Congress, and so that was pretty easy to walk away from. On everything else, uh, the, the wheels are in motion, basically, it, it, but there's some things where they're still not. So uh, taking another look at how to address China, uh, taking a look at the trade deficit, um, uh, buy America, hire America, using American uh, steel in energy pipelines, uh, considering the national security implications of imports on steel and on aluminum. These are all executive orders that that he has signed uh, that, that put the wheels in motion and, and set up actions uh, that will start in late June and extend uh, basically through the end of the year. Um, and so I, I, I think the important work uh, has yet to come. But there's, you know, there's a couple of big things that, that he missed on. Uh, China and currency manipulation, where he completely walked away from his campaign position there, or the effort to repeal or renegotiate NAFTA, uh, which still hasn't uh, gotten started yet. Uh, and, and there's a lot of anticipation about what that could or should look like. And so it's a very mixed record at this point. I mean, you know, did he tweet about it? Absolutely. Um, but, the, but there's a gap, certainly, between the tweets uh, and the rhetoric uh, and what's been accomplished so far. A lot of other things to talk about as well. Um, you uh, guys at the AM have a lot of great pieces, and that's why you know I constantly will mention the website to folks. And there was a piece um, that you have on your site about time to bust some myths about Trump's steel and aluminum imports investigations. For those aren't familiar, um, first of all, uh, you know, give us the information because, like you guys say, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of myths on this. Right. So. Uh 
the and, th- and this will sound I'll try to relate it to the listener and why it matters and it it basically goes to the fact that there are some uh, there, there are some uh, some types of materials like steel or aluminum and none of us buy it directly unless you buy aluminum foil basically but but they have important national security implications they go into armor plate or special alloys that are in airplanes and we want to have uh, the ability to do that in this nation. And so Trump signed uh, an executive orders starting the, the process to look at the, the, the national security impact of, of, of imports, particularly from China, uh, on, on, these, on these sectors. And, uh, you know, some folks are like, oh, he's going to start a trade war with China. The, the truth is that our steel and our aluminum industries have been under siege from Chinese imports from a long time. And if we start pushing back, then I think that that's, uh, that's a good thing. The other question that people have, perhaps, is that are we even allowed to do this? Don't, don't we, in a world of free trade, uh, how can we possibly constrain imports from China? And the truth is that when it comes to our national security, uh, even uh, organizations like the World Trade Organization or our own trade agreements give us a lot of leeway. So if we think that we need to be making steel here, put into tanks or uh, armored personnel carriers uh, or aircraft or battleships, uh, generally speaking, uh, the World Trade Organization is going to let us do that. Um, and every other country understands uh, and should respect that as well. But there are always those, Leslie, who uh, for, object to it on philosophical grounds and say, well, we just free trade makes us all better, even if we're not making a lot of steel here in this country. And I, I completely disagree with that. I think it's an important national security concern. Uh, and as we were just discussing, I, I think the most important thing is, is not where this thing starts, but where it ends up. Uh, good, and, good, and good what point. We're do about it. Uh, great points. And you guys got to check out that uh, myths and others. Time to bust some myths about Trump stealing aluminum imports investigations. All that and more at AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow Scott Paul on Twitter for more. His writings, his comments at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, always a pleasure. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come on the only true democracy in Tuggeria.